Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast. The podcast that is really there sneakily to try and get people into my group of the same name, the 10K Collective Mastermind, which is a set of six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers who are working really hard and in a lot of cases preparing to sell their business. So today's guest is all about the buying and selling of FBA businesses, a very topical, hot topic, I should say. But these guys have a bit of a different take on it. So Michael Sopilla is a co-founder of NCAP33. They're an Amazon FBA aggregator, but they're also a private equity firm. So they have a bit of a unique strategy to help businesses or business owners really get a premium multiple for that Amazon businesses. So obviously really, really important to get paid. So an important topic, Michael, welcome to the show. Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks very much. And where are you coming to us from in the world today? So I am from Canton, Ohio, which is about an hour south of Cleveland. And it's actually where the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, American football is here in, in Canton. So not, not a lot of people know Canton, Ohio, outside of the fact that, oh, wait, is that where the, the American Football Hall of Fame is? Thank you. And by the way, you're, you're so transatlantic. Look at you knowing that football in the rest of the world means soccer and, and saying American football. Absolutely. Yeah. Which strikes yeah. me as a violently different game. The word violent being the operative one. I mean, I, I admire anyone who could survive that. It looks like extraordinary. So it's a little bit like the world of being an FBA seller, right? So you've got to pre- prepare to get hit. It's a big old fight, but there's big wins at the other end. So we are here to talk about helping Amazon sellers, generally speaking, and obviously, particularly, we're going to focus today on sellability and business value. Now, that's often seen as about the same thing. But the first and most important question, really, for a lot of people who own a business is how do I increase the value of the business so that when I do sell, if you choose to sell, that, that you get the payoff for all those years of sweat and getting hit in American football styles? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. I I think that's a great question, a great place for us to start off. I think that the big uh, misconception for a lot of sellers or a lot of uh, entrepreneurs is when I get tired of the business, I should uh, look at selling. And and the problem with waiting until you get tired of the business is that's normally when the the business actually starts scaling downwards. Once your revenues and profits are starting to go down, there's less buyers that are interested in that. You might have some that are looking to fix up a company, but most are looking to take advantage of, of a business that's growing and thriving. So, so I think that if your business is not for sale right now, and if you're really liking uh, the business it, because it's, it's growing by leaps and bounds, that's normally the best time for you to consider selling. Yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? The irony, of course, most relationships end in failure. As they say, all, all political careers end in failure. It's kind of true, isn't it? You, you're going to get elected until you don't get elected anymore. I guess US presidents have the, the fact that if you do two terms, you're not allowed constitutionally back in. We don't have that here. So every political career ends in failure in the UK, by definition, very British. And yet, and, and of course, if a relationship ends, like a, you know, a, a marriage, it's a divorce, therefore it's ending in failure. But the weird thing about business relationship, you and your business, 
I guess is that you can choose to to end it on a good note, and what you're saying is you should. So it's a very strange thing. So we've we've talked about this before. I don't want to get too into this because it's more about the the seller's mindset, and you're more on the buying expert side. But broadly speaking, it sounds like a funny thing to say, doesn't it? To leave a relationship at the best point. So tell me a bit more about that. What what is the reason why that's so important? Because it sounds very counterintuitive somehow. Yeah, so I I think that we've kind of come off um, a year with COVID nineteen and in twenty twenty, which has obviously been a global pandemic, and for many industries outside of e commerce, there's been a lot of industries that have been really hurt by COVID. You know, I think of our brick and mortar retailers that that we own here at our private equity firm. When the doors are shut down, you don't have an online e commerce presence. Your business is really struggling. I think of the restaurant industry and others. When we look at e-commerce, most e-commerce businesses actually did better in 2020. Now, we can think of exceptions to that for sure. If you're in the travel industry on e-commerce or something like that, maybe you didn't do as well in 2020 as what you did in 2019. But a general rule of thumb is a lot of e-commerce businesses did a lot better than what they did the previous year. So again, when we look at uh, when's kind of the best time to sell, well, if your business is going upwards right now, and it's really hard to look at it in the, the reference of relationship aspects, because you know I think of meaningful relationships that I have in my life that I literally would never let go of. I'm married. We've got two young kids. We have another one on the way. So those are unbelievable relationships that I have personally that I I wouldn't think of selling, but when you look at an actual business, that's something that, you know, as you continue to keep on growing, there's an inherent risk of holding on to your business. And there's also a risk of you, you letting go of your business, right? Because there could be that possibility that can continue to keep on growing. But as we've gotten off of a year where a lot of e-commerce sellers went from their 2019 earnings were this and 2020 was much higher. Well, there's a possibility that 2021 could be the same. It could be better or it could be possibly worse, right? And from a buyer perspective, that's obviously something that me and my team try to be super careful about because we, we don't necessarily want to buy a COVID bump, but there's, it's also very hard to distinguish what's a COVID bump and what's organic growth that they would have realized otherwise. So I, I think that you know if I was in a seller's shoes right now, having got off a, a great year, I think I'd at least be willing to entertain conversations. And obviously, we are not the only ones out there that uh, you could be talking to that are buyers. There's a whole bunch of great companies out there that are doing a great service for sellers. And we're, we're one of them. I feel that we're, we're doing certain things definitely different. But you know, just be willing to have conversations to buyers and just know that those conversations don't necessarily have to lead to you selling your business. But just having a conversation on you know what that could look like for you, but then also your family and anybody that you love currently, it, it might be something worth considering. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, wise words there. I think the main things I'm taking from it, first of all, what goes up must come down. I, I believe in the, the reversion to the mean thing. And I, I don't know how that looks in e-commerce because it's relatively young industry. So we haven't got decades and decades of, of data like house prices or inflation rates or whatever. But yes, I, I guess <laughs> it's not rocket science to say 2021 was pretty, you know, 2020 rather was pretty exceptional. And obviously in, in Britain, you know, I'm now going to get a vaccination next week and I'm only 47 years old. So they're, they're rolling it out fast in the UK. It's going to open up. The same pressures don't exist now. OK, how much sticks? That's all very speculative. 
Uh, the other thing is, I love what you just said, willing to entertain conversations. I absolutely couldn't endorse that more. I say to uh, all my clients who are at that stage where they're considering it, look, go and talk to these guys. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to sell anything, but you're going to educate yourself. And even if you hang on to the business for the rest of your life and pass it on to your grandchildren, I've had a few clients now in, in the masterminds over the years who are in that situation, is still going to pass on a better business. So there's no harm in getting educated. So coming down to the question of assuming that we are at least going to be willing to entertain the possibility of selling the business or at least even seeing it through the eye of somebody seeing it as a sellable or, or an asset with a value in itself. That comes down to the question of how do we increase business value? So now we've talked about sellability as if it's the same thing, but what is the difference between sellability and value? Because I know we've had a conversation where you said mm, that's worth exploring. Yeah, so sellability is essentially a something that's that giving the certain period of time from a financial health perspective of the business. The business is trending at a certain way, a uh, certain way if it's trending upwards. We kind of already touched on that. That makes it possibly sellable, but but the 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 possibility of it being something that could be sellable in the current economic environment is something that's different. I'll give you an example again. If if we if we look at COVID, if if you were in the um, mask selling business right right now, then then that could be something that might be more difficult for you to sell today than maybe it was in 2019, because there's there's a possibility, and you could have had that mask business for the past 10 years. It could be a thermometer. It could be anything related to things that could be COVID symptoms. And then they see that large pump in revenue and profits in 2020, and there might not necessarily be that. So even though your business is scaling upwards, as we talked about initially, if you're in a certain industry, there could be a possibility that it actually might not be the best year for you. We've actually talked with other sellers that are in that industry that have, are just crushing it in sales. And you know, 2021 might not necessarily be the best year for them to sell their business because of the industry that they're in. So you know, I, I look at it from a few different perspectives. Number one is what is the business doing as far as a growth rate right now? What were the 2020 numbers versus the 2019? If between 2018 and 2019, the growth rate was 30%, but between 2019 and 2020, the growth rate was 75%. What was the reason that caused that growth? And if you're in the healthcare industry selling, again, things like maps online, not that that's a bad thing whatsoever. And quite honestly, you provided an unbelievable service to so many people for being in the healthcare industry. But from a buyer perspective, that could be something that's looked at as possibly something maybe hold off until 2022 to acquire. Another thing that I'd mention is when we just kind of get back to what most buyers look for, and I think of our, ourselves included in that, is we look for, for businesses that are, are, are long-term sustainable products, products that aren't going to be here today, gone tomorrow. We're not really looking for the next pet rock. I think that I can speak for most aggregators when I say that, that you want to see something that's been uh, in the market for a relatively long period of time and it has long-term growth and sustainability. And then another thing that's really important to see is that review moat. And I think that as you've had success in Amazon, the more positive uh, ratings and reviews you have, the more of a moat that you're creating for yourself. And that's something that is you know, pretty difficult to penetrate. So when I think of value, what are you actually buying if you're an acquirer? You're essentially buying, there's predictable revenue and cash flow. 
but then there's also a moat around the products, hopefully, right? And one of the only things that we could do if you don't have IP on your product is you can have uh, a moat with just unbelievable ratings and reviews where you're essentially up at the top of the ranks if, if somebody were to type in a, your product category onto Amazon. Excellent. So I guess what we're talking about here is the value of a business that is defensible and, and sustainable. So how do we uh, increase this value? I and mean, obviously you've looked at the the consistency of the growth, the sustainability ratings, reviews, that, that sort of stuff. I guess apart from choosing products that are sustainable and, and getting reviews, which is obviously good practice, what are the other best practices for actually increasing the business value in a way that a private equity firm like yourselves would really be interested in? So one thing that would be interesting for us is how much does the business need you in the day-to-day operations. Our model is a little bit different. So, so maybe th- th- this next aspect is going to be a shameless plug to, to what we do, but, but we are very much about finding ways to partner with entrepreneurs. Me and my team collectively, I mean, we've been part of multi-billion dollar IPOs. One of my co-founders built a very large tech slash e-commerce business to $250 million a year in sales, not just on Amazon and Shopify and online retailers, but also brick and mortar retailers. We've been part of uh, very large social media exits for $320 million. So collectively with our team, what we're really looking for is, is an entrepreneur that really understands their business inside and out. And we are very, very much relationship driven. We want to find a way that we essentially can partner with the, the owner operator and really help bring that business to the next level. Now, again, we are acquirers, but we we find ways to, you know, how can we actually have the owner stay on board and and help increase value? So one way that you could really increase value is not just simply by selling in Amazon US, but also getting into the Amazon other other markets around the world, right? Shopify sales. We've got a ton of experience with Shopify and other online retailers. Something that is more difficult, and quite honestly, a lot of products have difficulty doing this, is is getting into brick and mortar retailers. We've got relationships with some of the largest uh, brick and mortar retailers in the world. So when you think of of what's something that's of value, if we just simply look at the Amazon side of it, that's unbelievable. And Amazon is an incredible platform. But it is, are you just on Amazon US? Because if that's the case, then you could obviously diversify there. And the more and more you can have uh, diversification on proof of concept with your product, not just simply on Amazon, but on other online retailers and possibly even in brick and mortar eventually, the more and more valuable your business becomes. And that's something that we've realized that Amazon businesses are so unbelievable but the, the multiple that, that businesses, uh, Amazon sellers are getting for their business is still lower than, 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 than what others are. So one thing that we can help, and I'm sure that others can as well for sure, is, is help get that business not just simply on Amazon US, but other Amazon UK, various different places around the country, or, I'm sorry, the world, and, and then also help get on other online and possibly brick and mortar retailers. Interesting. So it sounds almost like there's a less of a dividing line with you guys than the, the being a good Amazon business operator, and then you sell it and then you're done, as opposed to you guys see where the business itself could go. And you're going to get the best value for the business if you have expanded internationally, you put Shopify or your own store on it. And if you can, as you say, getting into uh, brick and mortar retail is really hard. 
again, talking of the sort of rhythm of that in 2019, 2020, that was probably a pretty tough idea. 2021 is going to be interesting because a lot of them will be broke. But by 2022, that could actually be a real upsurge, right? I mean, right now, I think the smallest investments airlines, even though they're struggling at the moment because they're going to go crazy. So interesting thought. But also, it sounds to me like you're saying that in your case, maybe more than with most aggregators, that actually that all doesn't all have to have happened before the acquisition because you guys will partner with them to enable those things. Is that about a right reflection? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so just a little bit about about us on how our structure is different. When we kind of got in this space, we thought to ourselves like, okay, you know, there's two things that we have a lot of experience with. We have experience with M&A. My business partner, Johnny, uh, did a very large aggregation in a different industry and took that company public for about $3 billion a few years ago. So number one, we had that experience in in M&A. Another thing that we had a ton of experience in is e-commerce. And we kind of we kind of looked at it and said, you know, what's it look like if we were to start acquiring Amazon businesses or e-commerce businesses? And we saw that there was there was other aggregators that were doing that, that were providing a great service to those sellers. And, and it's just not in our company's DNA to do things the same way that everybody else does them. So what we try to do whenever we get into a marketplace is we try to see where is the where's the pain point? And where we saw a pain point in the marketplace is Amazon sellers. If you're on Amazon, you're, you have a great business and, and you got the rating risk reviews, you got a great product and all that stuff, right? But for whatever the reason, if you sell your business, it'll sell for, if you look at the average right now, it's still somewhere around three times what one year's profit is. And what a business broker will list your, your business for and what it'll actually sell for is oftentimes two different things. A lot of great business brokers out there as well. But where our business model started off is how could we um, help the Amazon sellers that if they were to sell to us, they're going to get 50% more to 100% more value if they were to sell to us than if they were to sell to anybody else. And we, we first started about thinking about the seller first. What are the deal terms? What's the multiple that we would want? And then we kind of reverse engineered to like, okay, well, how could it make sense for us? It's not necessarily the best business model in the world to basically say that, hey, we just pay a lot more than everybody else. So how could we actually make sense of it for us as well? And that was kind of the origin of our, our thought process. So to your question, Michael, as, as you kind of talk about like, when do we start adding value? We actually, when we partner with an Amazon business, we're not actually acquiring the business that day. We essentially have an option to acquire the business within the next several months. And essentially what that means is, Right away from day one after that option signed, we have Sean Doherty, Chris Cutter, the rest of our operations team that starts adding value to that business right away and sees where are the gaps in the business. It could be accounting. It could be negotiating with your China manufacturer. We've got team members that speak Mandarin that they can help with negotiations from that perspective. We we can help manage the Amazon account for you in, in that meantime. There's accounting stuff that, that you might need. Maybe uh, we can help you in the meantime, even before we actually own the business, help you start scaling your business on Shopify and other online retailers. We actually don't charge any consulting fee whatsoever for that. The only way that we make money is by exercising the option, acquiring the business within that option period. So, so I mean, we certainly do add value right away from day one. And we also know that even though um, we don't technically own the business yet, if we help you increase the value of your business right then, that actually might mean that we have to write a larger check when we go to exercise the option. In, in, in our mind, that's really short-term 
visioned to kind of think of like, okay, well, the check would have been this, but but now it's this, and that's not worth it for us. If we could start adding value to the businesses right away, we want to start doing that right away because our mission is is much more long term than just this this uh, difference in a check of what we would end up writing between if we would have kept their earnings at a million dollars instead of increasing it to a million too. We we want to be able to to help the financial health of the business right off the bat from day one. Interesting. So I really like, by the way, first of all, the starting point, uh, it, it sounds like any intelligent operator of any kind of environment, including Amazon sellers, which is see what everyone else is doing, see what other people aren't doing. <laughs> Where's the pain point for the consumer? And then reverse engineer from that, how, do, how can we make that work for us? And by the way, any Amazon business owner should be doing all of those things. Some do that more successfully than others. And it really, really shows. So I really like the imagination that you brought to bear on that. And um, I like the fact that you've got a longer term focus as well. And famously, Jeff Bezos wins because he thinks in seven year arcs and everyone else is focused on the next quarter, you know, next quarter, or the last quarter, I should say. Right. So that I really, really like that mentality that you're putting across. And if you take nothing else from it, that's, that's in itself fantastic. But also this option to buy sounds an intriguing thing. I guess the obvious thing for me is option sounds a little bit sort of vague. Now, I know that has a precise meaning in your world, but if, I, if I'm if i a business owner, let's say that my business is done, I don't know if there's like a minimum size you take, but let's say it's done sort of a million pounds or a million dollars. EBITDA, I've grown it to the point where I'm really proud of it, but I'm looking at an exit that's maybe three times EBITDA, so maybe a $3 million exit, which maybe means I can pay off my house and, you know, not have an amazing lifestyle, but is kind of tempting because I sense that the arc of the business may sort of stop growing at some point and I'm getting exhausted or whatever it is, right? This is one particular scenario, right? So if I come to you guys and you say, you're going to offer me an option to buy it, how concrete is that for me? Am I going to definitely get that money? How does that work? Yeah. So the first thing that I want to mention is we don't offer options to businesses that we don't want to acquire. Okay. Um, so, so that's step one. Is there a possibility that we don't end up acquiring the business? There could be that possibility, but that's the same thing if you were to sign an LOI or a term sheet or something like that with any other buyer, once they actually perform the quality of earnings and the due diligence, there could be a possibility that the that the deal falls through, right? So the same thing is true with us, but what we do is we pre- perform brief due diligence on the front end to, to be 90 to 95% sure as to the financial health of the business the products, the ratings, just understand from both in the Amazon side, but also a financial side, how the business is doing. So we have almost absolute certainty that the business is what we think that it is. And we've actually had a lot of businesses, quite honestly, I can think of a business that profits you know, over $3 million a year that we ended up saying, you know what, even though you've got a great business and, and your, your numbers are going up, the products are, are something, uh, it's in an industry that we don't necessarily want to be in right now. So we're going to have to the past. Now, you could have made the argument that, well, it didn't cost us anything to get that business under option, so why not get them under option? That's not really the heart as to why we we put together the model that we did. We only offer businesses the option to purchase for for businesses that we genuinely believe in and ones that we genuinely believe that we're going to end up acquiring. So that's that's number 1 is, you know, if the the quality of earnings comes back to where maybe what was represented initially isn't exactly what it is. That could be a reason that we didn't purchase. And then also if the business is going like this and then it starts going drastically down, that could obviously be another reason why why we don't purchase as well. But our team just puts in too much time and effort 
after an option gets signed. And since we're not charging any fees or anything like that, I mean, the only way that we make money is by acquiring businesses. So, so from that perspective, we're really entirely aligned. And, and, and one other thing that I'll mention, and I, I think that I, we're probably a little bit, I don't want to say more transparent, but we're certainly transparent about this aspect is, is we actually have, by the end of this year, our exit plan where we could either merge with a SPAC, sell to private equity or family office. So the way that we end up working out our model is we offer sellers five times their EBITDA. So it's essentially a nine-month option. We're paying five times EBITDA. And, and that's much higher uh, offer than what others are willing to pay. It's also all cash offer up front and s- instead of half up front. And then there's an earnout over a period of time. So we're paying that higher multiple. But again, kind of reverse engineering, why would we do that? And why does it make sense uh, for us to do that as well? There's, there's really two reasons. Having that option gives us just a little bit more time to perform due diligence. Because if you're going to pay a premium for the business, you want to really make sure that the business is what you think that it is. And then the second thing is we're aggregating a lot of options right now. Right now, we've got close to $30 million of EBITDA under option. By June, we anticipate that we'll be closer to 50 or $60 million of EBITDA. And once you look at that amount, with us consolidating, aggregating, and acquiring $50 million of EBITDA, which could be $250 million of revenue by that point, us paying 5x for that is actually a great deal. Even though from a siloed perspective for each one of those individual businesses, we're actually paying more than market value for. Once you look at all of them as a whole, it actually makes a lot of sense for that. So that's the first reason why that makes sense for us. The second reason is when we actually go to, let's call it merge with a SPAC, we we would merge for larger than a 5X multiple. So, so there'd be a multiple arbitrage there. So essentially what we ended up creating is a model that we feel that's entirely unique in the industry. It gives a seller the opportunity to sell their business for, for more than what we believe that they would have otherwise, but also we're able to make sense of it on our end as well. Amazing. And by the way, I realize it sounded a bit of a sort of skeptical question, but I'm, I was trying to sort of stand in for my, you know, clients that, you know, quite savvy, small business people. Sometimes I'm a small in terms of revenue relative to the big numbers out there doesn't necessarily mean small in terms of savvy. I think that if you own and operate a business, sometimes these guys are sharp as attack. And so that's why I ask seemingly almost not quite aggressive question, but I'd love the, the answer really. If it, <laughs> if it's not sustainable, it's not going to be sustained. There's quite a few things out there as in the aggregating space. It strikes me that they they're trying to do something that they can't sustain if you pay 3x for something and you should have paid 2.5 and you multiply that across 100 businesses it's going to blow up right whereas your model you you're paying 5x so just to clarify and i think it's really important to get this out there because it is very different you are offering as long as you exercise your option within i think it's a nine month option you said five times ebitda so five times profit way more than the average which is about 2.8 maybe now three whatever it is and it's all cash up front that is violently different to every other aggregated deal out there and i've spoken to enough aggregators for the podcast and privately as well so that's really i cannot emphasize enough how different that is now the fact that you have a serious model to make that work and you guys have a track record of that really i think makes you stand apart from the other aggregators who are simply copying what big names that i'm not going to name have been doing uh, without understanding what happens on the back end of that because that just doesn't make sense if you buy it's a bit like a, at, a, at a sort of primitive level. If I buy something at $5 in, in China and I can sell it 
um, at a loss of two dollars on Amazon, then I should have bought at three. And if I keep buying at five, I'm going to go broke. So <laughs> it's not a big scale, right? Of that, it seems to me. So very, very interesting. I mean, what what questions should I have asked you at this point? I, I've got a few more that I'm I'm interested in asking. But what is it that I'm what is it that that I should ask you? What is it that sellers often don't understand that they should at this point? Gosh, such a great question. So as, as far as what sellers don't understand that they that they should, I, I think that I, I think that there's there's the there's the thought process that 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 if you want to sell your business, you need to list with a business broker, which by the way, again, there's a lot of great business brokers and we work with a lot of great business brokers. But another way that you could do it is is, you know, look up online Amazon FBA aggregators and and you can you can find people or listen to to Michael Vizi's podcast here and, and and call us directly or anybody else right because because we're not the only option quite honestly there's we're, our model is not perfect for everyone as the, as the market's really spoken it's right for a lot of people but it's certainly not right for everybody so so I I think that I guess one thing that I'd say is, for some, a listing with a business broker could be the, the best thing for them to do. For another person, if you need an attorney to uh, review your contract, you could obviously you know, call up an attorney and, and pay them a fee versus a percentage, and, and they would be happy to do that. So I guess that that's another thought as well. But, but both, are, both are valuable. I think that just overall, just knowing that there's options out there, selling when you're on the high versus going uh, downwards is obviously another reason. And you know, I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to find ways to add value as to what are things that I that I think sellers should be thinking about. Oh, uh, and another thing I, I would I guess I would mention is you should very much study the background of the of the buyer that 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 is that you're talking with. What's their track record? And and there's there's a lot of aggregators that have a ton of success behind them, right? I I think that understanding the individuals behind the aggregators and really kind of understanding. You know the value that they're going to be able to bring to the business. I think is very, very instrumental. The reason that we're in this space is not because we're stumbling upon something to do. We genuinely have a ton of business acumen, both in retail, e-commerce, and M and A, to where it just we really, we really feel like we could add a ton of value for the Amazon businesses. Another thing that I'd say to to a seller is, where are you at from a mental and emotional perspective? on selling your business and what are the things that you want and you value the most. If what you're wanting is a check right now, then we are not going to be your best uh, person. If you're tired of the business and want to want to sell it right now, we will not be the best value. Okay? We might be the best dollar value if you're willing to sit for a while, but if you need to go right now, we wouldn't necessarily be your your best fit, but but are are you willing to stay on board? That's something else. We find that there's a lot of Amazon sellers that they're not listed for sale right now. So if they're not listed for sale, they might actually be willing to stay on board. So does your buyer uh, want you to stay on board, or or do they not? If you want to get out of the business, then then maybe you should find a buyer that is that is that is wanting that. If you're wanting to stay on board, you need to find things that uh, a buyer that would be interested in having you stay on board. So I think other than a dollar and cents perspective, you need to uh, think of what do you want personally for your lifestyle? Because if you're loving your business and if an aggregator is saying, hey, nice job, but we'll go ahead and take it over from here, 
then then maybe that's uh, not the best fit for you. But but if you're willing to stay on and and if you're willing to sit tight as as we end up performing our our model out, we could be a good value. But then vice versa. So it, it's it's important for you to not just realize of like you know what's the dollars that I can get for my business because of course that's important and 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 our model is built to succeed that way. But what is the lifestyle that you want? If you're ready to uh, take a year off and go on vacation and and travel the world, find find a, a buyer that's willing to align with you there. If you, if you still have the energy and stamina to stay in the business for for a certain period of time, then find a buyer that's willing to align with you there as well. Very interesting. And yeah, fun, I'm glad I asked that question because that's a, a ton of value. Hey there, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the interview with Michael Sopilla today of NCUP 33, actual private equity company. So we're sort of moving up the food chain gradually with some of these podcasts that from brokers who deal with private equity companies or merger and acquisition specialists or merchant banks. They kind of the names start to get more interesting as well, don't they? So today we're talking private equity and we were talking really sellability and adding business value. First points. So summary points that I took from today. First thing, don't sell when you're tired of the business. Buyers want a thriving and growing business. If you think you're going to get tired of it, then's the time to sell. You actually need to leave the business at the best point, not the worst point. Difference between sellability and value. I guess sellability is trends, whereas value is actually what the business is worth, I guess. What are the other things? Key metrics. Increasing business value, make sure you've got consistent growth. Consistency is interesting, isn't it? For an entrepreneur in, in bucking bronco type environments, I think consistency is really, really hard. Hardest thing in the world. The, the simple operational uh, driven issue is going out of stock on your best selling products. Of course, that's one thing that really hits consistency of sales because obviously you're out of stock, you have zero sales. So we all know that one, don't we, from experience. But the other one, I guess, is that when you're having an amazing year, that if the following year is pretty awful to balance it out, yes, the average is about the same, but it doesn't look good to an investor. So particularly the bigger investors, private equity, I know that, you know, public markets are more fussy again. It seems that consistency piece is a story that comes up again and again with successful businesses like to broaden the discussion the good to great companies or great by choice companies the ones that that did well in very turbulent environments examined by jim collins involved included things like airline companies which are really bucking bronco of an industry and famously southwest airlines had 30 straight years of profits in an including when they pretty much started out when there was a quadrupling in the gasoline price or the price of oil which was a huge thing for an airline so that's an example of it's a much much bigger lesson a bigger what principle i guess in business than just in the amazon space but clearly it applies here as well that consistency sustainability of the product is another thing that michael mentioned not a fad product obviously we don't want fidget spinners and and also trying to make sure the business doesn't need you that much in day-to-day operations the other interesting thing is that the the sort of deal structures that these guys offer are much more around the working alongside a business owner rather than you just hand over the keys and then run away kind of thing. But the the way they've structured things to get you that much bigger multiple, and I can't remember if we actually talked about that in this particular episode of the podcast, but certainly if not, it'll be in the next one because we split a conversation in half, really. Michael mentioned that really the sort of multiples they normally look at is about 5x, five times the EBITDA or pre-tax profit, whichever number you wanted to use, free cash flow, salary discretionary earnings, they all seem to approximate to the same thing, right? So 5x on 3x, which is the average with aggregators who buy more direct is, is pretty amazing. So 
what they've got is obviously working and they're pretty clear about the fact they're kind of marmite if you just want to exit and get out and get the money it's not going to be for you but ncap 33 worth checking out if you're interested in a more of a gradual handover and certainly very knowledgeable people so if you can get on a call with someone like michael I would absolutely advise it. As you've heard from the conversation, you're going to learn a huge amount. So I'm always, always saying to sellers, and I'm going to say it again to all the people on my masterminds or, or private clients who are at that stage where they're hitting seven figures and beyond and considering selling, well, guess what? Always go and talk to people. Get the advice, get the perspective. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to agree anything. You don't have to go down a definite path, but get that free advice start those conversations start those relationships because sooner or later people who have that kind of expertise and understanding how businesses are valued as a whole and and to see the business as a whole rather than stuck in the operation seeing it in bits as we often do as operators owner operators guess what that's really really valuable i'm a huge fan of that way of thinking so i'd urge you if you can if you're um, got a substantial business and that you may even possibly one day sell go and have a chat to someone like Michael and his team if they'll have you. Talking of which, I ought to just let you know what that is. Yeah, so if you just email michael at ncap33.com, M-I-C-H-E-A-E-L. Let me try again. I should be able to spell my own name, shouldn't I? Michael Sapilla. Email michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at ncap33.com. That's E, N for November, C for Charlie, A for Alpha, P for Peter, 33.com. If you're on track for about a million dollars profit or you're doing four or five million dollars revenue. So I know that won't be a big percentage for the listeners, but if that's you and you can persuade Michael to have a chat to you, definitely worth a call. And apart from that, do keep listening. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe to the show if you want to get more of this good stuff delivered to your podcast player of choice. Thanks for listening. Speak to you in the next show. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.